It was great to see our young people last week actually do our worship service, right? They did a great job, and ladies, you did a great job as well. Watched y'all on YouTube afterwards, and uh, just thank you. Thank you for all you did, and just appreciate it. You guys are awesome, and so thank you very much. Thank you, Austin and Abby, and uh, Miss Carrie, who's back there with kids. Thank you for your leadership in helping out with this. And we'll do more of those. I think we're going to try to do two of those every year here. And so I think we'll uh, get that going. And so we really want to give our kids an opportunity to really get engaged with the worship and, and learn from that. We're in a series called Identity. And if this is your first time with us, we're so glad to have you here. And, or if it's even been a while, thanks for coming back. We're in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is what we're doing this whole series on an identity on. And each week we've been challenged to answer life's most important question, or I, I believe it's the most important question. And that question is, is whose am I? Whose am I? To whom will I listen? To whom will I follow? Am I listening? I, all of us are listening to someone, so to whom are we giving our attention? On April the 13th, 1970, astronaut Jim Lovell spoke these words, Houston, we have a problem. He uttered those words following an explosion on Apollo's 13 mission to the moon. Those words were made even more famous, of course, by Tom Hanks when he uttered the same words in 1990, 1995 with the film Apollo 13. And those words still echo in our society when something goes wrong. Houston, we have a problem. That phrase has been known to capture the immediacy of our situation, which needs immediate attention, a solution. We can't wait for this problem to be solved any other way. It's got to be solved now, or, we go or we're going to lose the mission. So in most churches, in most churches, there are more females than there are males. No matter the size of the church, its tribe or its demographics, young men or old, men represent 39%, 39% of church attendance across the board. And while 39% are in there, men are in attending, only 23% of those 100% of males in attendance are actually stepping up to lead. Less than one quarter are engaged, and many think that that number is a lot smaller than that. And I echo the words of Jim Lovell, Lake Homa, we have a problem. Our text today is from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and I love verse 6. Love verse 6. And while most of us would glance over this verse, I believe it actually speaks volumes. And that verse is this, there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. It made me think to myself, can that be said about me? Am I a man sent from God? His name is James. Can that be said about Glenn? Glenn, can you say, my name is, I am sent from God and my name is Glenn? Could that be said about, now I'm not going to go around and name names. Because it'd make everybody really nervous. And I already talked to Glenn about this. That I was going to call him out. But brothers, we can make this statement, can we make this statement to ourselves? I'm a man 
sent from God, and my name is. John the Baptist was given a mission by God. And if we look back on John's life, even before his birth, he had a mission. John is the only prophet, listen to this, he's the only prophet in Scripture, the only prophet in Scripture who was foretold in prophecy. No other prophet, not Moses, not Elijah, not uh, Isaiah, not Ezekiel, not Daniel, were foretold in prophecy. We are told through prophecy, prophecy that John is going to be the forerunner, the forerunner to the Messiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Malachi 3 verse 1, see I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. See, before John's birth, he was given a mission. You remember how that happened, right? You remember it was John's parents and Zachariah and Elizabeth. They were preparing to go, prepare, they were the ones that were to prepare John for his mission. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had a lineage that went all the way back to Aaron, the high priest. He learned, of course, Zechariah learned of John's, uh, his birth while he was serving in his duties. He was chosen by lot to actually go into the temple and light the incense. It was there that God spoke to him about John's birth. John, the one they called John the Baptist, grew he grew up in a priestly home. Think about that. He grew up in a priestly home of a Levite who ministered before the Lord on a regular basis. He was a preacher's kid. He understood what the priesthood was all about, but he also knew the truth. He knew the good, and he also knew the ugly. He witnessed the corruption of that priesthood as well as those who held on to its purpose like his father. He knew, he knew his mission from the beginning was one to be crying out in the wilderness. John knew because he knew his text. He knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecy. He had been told from birth that you're born for a purpose, John. Could this be the purpose for which I was born? Matthew 3, verses 1 through 4 says this. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's near. This is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Now, John didn't fit into the modern-day priesthood. He did not fit into being a Sadducee or a Pharisee. And he didn't even fit into the, to the zealots, although that's where I probably put him. John was a prophet in the fashion 
of Elijah. I mean, literally, he wore the same clothes as the prophet Isaiah. And his role was to call back the people to the heart of God. Listen to this passage. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee of the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into a barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Men, can I ask you a question? What is our mission? What is our mission? And if you haven't noticed, I mean, this is directed, this lesson is kind of directed to the men in this congregation today. What's our mission? You may say, well, James, for me, my mission is to raise faithful children in the Lord. Well, that, and that's great. That's awesome. What a great mission indeed. And what else? Well, no, that's it. I mean, really, my most important mission I have right now, until my kids get out of the house, I'm going to give full time to their development and getting them on the right track toward their profession, making sure that they have all the opportunities to discover actually who they are. This is the most important mission I have right now for my kids. And those of us who have already raised our children... How's that working in our churches? Why is the leadership pipeline in our churches but a drip? We raised our children to be productive citizens. But did we ever stress the importance of the mission of God, the mission of Jesus in, in their life from birth? There was a man who was sent from God and his name, his name is John. Brothers, there's a reason our children are leaving the church in record numbers. It's not because we as fathers have not spent enough time with our children. It's not because we failed to raise them to be productive in the world. It's because we failed to engage them with us in the mission of God. And this God stuff, this God stuff is not something we can just put on the back burner and maybe get to later. It's not something we can ignore. What we do now with our children and our grandchildren will have deep and lasting ramifications. How many of us raised our hands last week, two weeks ago, and said, how many of us want to see Jesus when we die? And all of us raised our hand. Every single one of us. Can I ask you another sobering question? How many of us want to see our children and grandchildren there with us as well? There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. 
There's a verse in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, which is probably one of the most disturbing verses for me when it comes to leadership. One of the most disturbing verses, it says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabaha. But David remained in Jerusalem. See, David forgot his mission as a king. And he decided to relinquish his duties to another. And while he was at home, he committed murder, adultery, covetedness, and dishonored his heavenly father. All because, all because he relinquished his duties to another's. And I wonder, fathers, have we done the same? Dennis Leap, who is a contributor to The Trumpet, writes this on this particular issue, and he discusses how corporate businesses and marketing and feminism all contribute to the disappearance of men within our modern culture. With the promotion of sexually explicit materials, he says, pornography, lack of educational tools to promote true leadership, and New Age wives, he's got that in quotes, feminists, men have become wrongly complacent, lazy, anxious, and morally depressed over the entire cultural shift. With this certain lack in male leadership, divorces and singleness have continued to increase drastically. And this isn't a new issue. This is not a new issue. This has been around since Adam failed to lead his home. And throughout the history of mankind, time and time again, men have not stepped up. God put us here for this time. And I think about where God put Ezekiel in his generation. And I love this verse in Ezekiel. It says this, and it's sobering. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. I found none. And brothers, this must not happen in our churches. We have a mission. John was given a mission. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came as a witness about the light. John was commissioned to stand in the gap. John's responsibility was to assist the forerunner in building his walls. John said, he must become greater. I must become less. Brothers, I believe there's breaks in our walls. And we don't need more men to do the work at Lake, at Lake Homer. We have plenty of men already. Doesn't this go back to the greatest command? Doesn't it go back to the question posed at the beginning of this lesson, whose are we? Whose are we? I mean, if we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, do we need to be told to engage in the work of the Lord? Ezekiel 13 verse 5 says, You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it, 
for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. So what are we going to do, man? What are we going to do to repair the breaks in our walls? Are we going to face this epic struggle of following Jesus? Are we? This struggle is often being overshadowed. I understand it's being overshadowed, overshadowed by the affirming and safe, inviting atmosphere fostered by most of our churches. Can I make something really clear? Church is not safe. Sure, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yes, Satan will not prevail in the end. But until that day comes, until that day comes when Satan is cast down and destroyed, he will throw every weapon he has to extinguish the local church. He will try everything. And we see this happening all over. How many times have we seen the doors of churches even in this last year, close. Men, we are in a battle for the souls of our children and our wives. Men, do we have the faith and the passion and the courage to make a stand here now, to stand in the gap? I believe this can happen, but it's going to demand a characteristic very few of us, including me, have. Valor. We need to become mighty men of valor. 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, it says, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Mighty men of valor that the Lord is with. So can we look at ourselves, can we look at ourselves and declare, declare ourselves as mighty men of valor? Can we? You know, it's interesting that men of valor are described as vigorous, heroic, champions, warriors, strong. Men of valor are usually competent and brave and strong and powerful. These are the men who go off to war, who took up their sword and shield and fought for their God. They fought for their family. They fought for their God's way of life. And John the Baptist was a mighty man of valor, not because he had a sword, not because he had a sword, but because he fought for truth. He fought for truth. He stood up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, calling them a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers because they did not bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He faced King Herod and told him it was unlawful for him to have his brother's wife. And even after King Herod put him in prison, he did not go back on that. And it cost him his head. It cost him his head. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name is John. And when you look at scriptures, one biblical hero after another is shown to be wounded, broken, flawed, prone to disobedience, and even outright wickedness sometimes. I mean, think of Samson, think of Saul, King Saul. And many others. And yet when these, when these men, these men, they also saw, they also, we also see in them small glimpses of valor, undeterred faith. 
unwavering conviction, humble service and sacrifice, but only, only glimpses. And yes, brothers, every single one of us, we too are wounded. We're broken. We're flawed. And we're prone to disobedience. But we have something that those men don't have. We have the power of Christ within us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have the power of the cleansing blood of the Lamb within us. When we are weak, we are strong. There is a battle we can enter into with strength and courage and passion because we have put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. Men, is there a change I think there's a change which needs to occur in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our church. Are we not men who have been sent from God? Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're flawed. But it doesn't relieve us of our responsibility. Have we forgotten our role as leaders in God's kingdom? Are we not to be on the forefront, on the front lines? Should we not be out, out, out there leading the way? Okay, so quickly, I want to give you three characteristics, three characteristics of valor I see in John's life, and we could implement in our own lives, all right? So when I look back on John's, the Baptist life, these are the three characteristics that I see. Here's the first one. Be men of strength. Be men of strength. And you understand, I'm not, I'm not speaking here about being physically strong, but an inward strength which is able to withstand and stand up against the evil one. Matthew 3, verses 7 and 10 through 12. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. His wintering fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Men, it takes strength to stand up for the truth with a capital T being Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees believed they were standing up for truth, a small t. And John looks at them and calls them a brood of vipers. Where is our strength in this world to actually scream, to actually scream as men and say, my kingdom is not of this world? Are we willing to say that? We serve a heavenly kingdom. We fight for the kingdom of Christ. Jesus said, I in the way, the truth, and the life. Are we willing to stake our lives on that? Are we willing to help our wives and our children and grandchildren to grow up, to be faithful? Are we willing to stand in the gap on behalf of our king? There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. Here's the second one. Be men of courage. Be men of courage. John had the courage to call a spade a spade. When King Herod took 
his brother's, Philip's wife, John told him it was not lawful for him to have her. You're committing adultery, Herod. As I said earlier, that pronouncement cost him his head. And we asked, well, why did he have to say anything? I mean, really, why did he have to say anything? If John had just kept his mouth quiet, he wouldn't have ended up in prison. Brothers, it takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to speak the truth. It takes courage to lead our families in today's culture. And some of us men, I believe, we need to grow a spine. Are we going to take up our cross and stand in the gap? Or are we going to relinquish that duty to another? There came a man who was sent from God. And his name was John. Last, be men of passion. Be men of passion. Did you know that there's no other scripture? Listen to me now. There's no other scripture in, in the Bible. There's no other person in the Bible who was born of a woman who was greater than John the Baptist. Did you realize that? No other person who was born of a woman who was greater than John the Baptist. Jesus does not give that designation to Abraham. He does not give that, that to Adam or even Moses. He doesn't give that designation to David, Solomon, or Hezekiah. He doesn't give that designation to Elijah, Daniel, or Ezekiel. John holds the designation in Jesus' eyes as being the greatest person born of woman at that time. Listen to this. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to, into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Jesus' words, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Did you catch that last verse? Those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the Baptist. How can that be? I mean, he was a stud. I mean, he was a mighty man. How can that be? As believers in Christ, we have more weapons to fight with against the scheme of Satan than John ever possessed. We have been given the powerful words of Christ himself. We had the Spirit of God living within us. We are part of a church which cannot be shaken, and we have a bond of brotherhood. Therefore, do we have the fortitude to stand in the gap on behalf of God's kingdom? There was a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. Men, it's leadership's desire. The elders, ministers, that Lake Homa is built on the foundation of Christ. And I'm thankful for every one of you, men, that pours your life and your heart into Christ's church. 
And I'm thankful for those men who are mighty men of valor, men who have courage and strength and passion in this church. We need you. And we also need more of you to decide to take up the mantle of leadership. And to my sisters in Christ sitting in the pews this morning, I thank you for your strength, your courage, your passion. I'm grateful for each one of you. Each one of you give your hearts to the kingdom work here at Lake Homa. And we're blessed to have so many strong, passionate, faithful women leaders here in the church. We are truly blessed. Amen? So thank you so much, and we appreciate your dedication, your hard work to Christ. Man, I hope today is a day of decision for you, for all of us. And I pray we wrestle with the question that we've been asking through this whole series, whose am I? Whose am I? John decided way before he ended up in prison who he was. He had given his life fully and wholly over to God. Will we do the same? Will we? Then will we rise and stand in the gap on behalf of our families in Christ's church? Will we be mighty men of valor? There was a man who was sent from God. And his name was, let's stand and sing.